You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 37. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-host, Pontus Böckmann, and our guest, Brian Ego. See ya, Stock. All right, troops. Hey, son, hey, son. Well, Yelena's out campaigning. Um, not campaigning, she's camping. <laughs> <laughs> she may be campaigning as well, we don't know. Yeah, probably. Uh, uh, trying to get um, some squirrels on our side. Um, <laughs> but she definitely has limited uh, internet access, hence her absence today. But she'll hopefully be back next week. However, since doing a regular show that's not entirely dedicated to an interview, uh, it is too much work for two, I'm afraid. Yeah. So... We invited Brian Ego to shoulder some of it for us. We had to call in for reinforcements, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just kidding. Uh, we wanted to try for a while um, how we can work with a gastro. So here we are. Welcome. Yeah, thanks very much, guys. And I guess welcome to all our new squirrel listeners as well, if Yelena's has managed to uh, <laughs> yeah. rustle some of them up. Uh, our woodland friends, our newly skeptical woodland friends. That's great. Yeah. Oh, I've, I've, I've seen a few of them here in Canada um, yeah. um, just yesterday. They can look very skeptical. <laughs> I'm sure they can. But if this works out, we might invite guest rogues on from time to time. Mm-hmm. So we, we we are all watching you, Eggman. <laughs> that that puts me under unnecessary pressure. Well, I mean, I was I was already under pressure, but now, so like, if it doesn't work out too well, yeah. um, you know, I, don't take it as a lost cause. I'm sure you can get somebody somebody competent who's not busy on a Sunday morning uh, sometime in the future. Pretty sure we're gonna be we're gonna be just fine. It'll be fine. So, is everyone ready? Mm-hmm. All set to go. Great. Um, by the way, it's it's been not very long ago that, that we had our interview with you on the show. So how have you been? Uh, I've been very well, thanks. Uh, and, and I've got to say that the lovely comments um, flooded in after my interview with you guys, which was, which was very heartwarming. Uh, by that, I mean a couple of my mates said, hey, that was all right. Um, so th- that was okay. it, With a surprise my, on their faces, yeah. Yes, exactly. My my fiancée did not listen to the interview, though. She has to put up with my god-awful jokes full-time, so um, she's not subjecting herself to any extra. <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, it's very good to be back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Great. good to have you back. What about you, Pontus? Uh, I'm fine. I'm a bit. Of, I have a bit of a hangover, um, but uh, I hope that won't come come across too too much. And what about you then, Andras? Uh, tell us about you and where exactly you are and what time it is at the moment. I th- uh, well, this is this is a bit later than five o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, but it's not the the reason for my uh, uh, voice being a bit cranky. Actually, I I, I got a cold, a terrible cold. And uh, that was stopped by um, uh, having air conditioning on my face all the time. Um, since I am in Canada, where air conditioning seems to be some kind of a religion, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> really, this is uh, this is this is awful. Uh, they they keep the temperature at around eighteen degrees all the time, mm. and uh, God knows what kind of bugs. They're, they are are just shooting at your face with with all those. Well, but, as, um, as religions go, it's less harmful than others. So, uh, you know, <laughs> if, if we want to uh, subscribe to the aircon religion, I think, uh, I, th- I think we'd be up for that. The world yeah. would be a better place. 
Yeah. Well, me personally, I me personally, I haven't ever suffered this much because of a religion. So, <laughs> so, so you're uh, not you're not convinced yet. <laughs> but but that's that's just my my personal story. So so I'm I'm not trying to advocate for anecdotal um, um, arguments here. Oh, okay, very good. But I I just received a few very nice buttons from uh, one of the members of uh, Ottawa Skeptics, Shona Watson. Uh, I met them yesterday and we went for cakes instead of beer or stuff so i i'm i'm not hungover okay well just to let you know the, the two are not mutually exclu- exclusive you can have cake and beer Ooh, <laughs> shoot i didn't know that no okay now i do um next time next time probably pride parade is on to, to, today in ottawa mm-hmm. they are marching they are um, building a flying spaghetti monster oh we should have done that yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, are you in? Uh, are you still in Glasgow, Eggman? Yes, absolutely. I'm in Glasgow right now, and I uh, shortly after a recording, I am going to be heading towards Edinburgh because I am delivering uh, a presentation tonight for Edinburgh Skeptics as part of their Fringe program. By the time the show goes out, I think your talk will be passed. It, it will, which is a shame. If there's any time travellers out there, then uh, Sunday the 21st at the Banshee Labyrinth, 7.50pm. <laughs> Hope to see you there. <laughs> okay, but uh, now, you, now you deserve the right to talk about the last two days of Edinburgh Skeptics on the Fringe. But first, as we start the show, I think we should talk about someone who was born on this day. Since Yelena's not with us uh, at the moment, she's out campaigning <laughs> among squirrels, uh, I'd like to ask Pontus. Mm-hmm. So, do you, Pontus, have something interesting for us today? Yes, I do. I do. Uh, because on the 26th of August in 1743, Antoine Lavoisier was born. So I, I think you've heard of him. Um, uh, he was a French nobleman and a chemist. Uh, he's extremely important in the history of modern science. He described the element uh, oxygen uh, and its role in combustion for the first time accurately. There's a, there's a slight controversy, actually, if he was the first one to discover it. But, but he, uh, he coined the term oxygen and uh, was the one who correctly described how it works when when uh, when you burn something so i guess he had a good time there he's lab lab burning things and trying to figure out what happened mm-hmm. uh that led to uh a, the abandonment of an older uh hypothesis of phlogiston have you heard of phlogiston yeah it's just uh, yes. next to kazakhstan isn't it <laughs> <laughs> it could be. It's very close, very close, yeah. Nope. yeah. yeah. I went there for my holiday in 2007. It was lovely. <laughs> uh, well, the, the the theory or the hypothesis of, of phlogiston was that there was a special, supposedly a special substance embedded into anything that could burn, and that's what made it flammable. But uh, Lavoisier, he, he found out that it's actually not that. It's You, t- you need to... to add oxygen from the air to make things burn so anyway uh that was uh, he went on also to find a lot of other elements uh, uh like hydrogen and sulfur 
and he predicted the existence of silicon, which is, uh, that's good science when you can correctly predict some things that you have not yet discovered. So uh, good science there. Yeah, good one. Um, well done, sir. Yeah, he also went on to describe the principle of conservation of mass, which is that the mass in a closed system must always remain the same if nothing is added or removed. So that's also laying the, the groundwork for a lot of other uh, very important science that came after him. Sounds like a very, very conservative stance. Yeah. Unfortunately for, for uh, Lavoisier, uh, he was also active in the Ancien Régime, which is the, the, uh, was the administration of the, uh, in France b- before the French Revolution. That meant he was not very popular when the revolution came along. He was an administrator in the tax collection body known as Ferme Générale, which was, as you can understand, collecting taxes is not uh, most popular activity you can you can do. Uh, and he actually financed a lot of his science uh, by, by taking from those taxes. So I guess some criticism was, was justified. Uh, but that meant also that he, when he was 50 in the year 1794, he was uh, executed together with other 27 other administrators of the Ferme Générale. Yeah. Bit of an unfortunate end there, isn't it? Yeah, so... Being beheaded? Nah, yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he was a little bit put off. His protests at the guillotine were, <laughs> but I discovered oxygen, <laughs> sort of. Off with his head, yeah. Sure, but he, because of his importance in science, he is to then today generally known as the father of modern chemistry. So, that's him, Antoine Lavoisier. Cool. Thanks very much, Pontus. Mm, thank you. And now let's move on to uh, discussing a few events in the coming week. And as I promised you, Eggman. It's up to you to start with uh, something happening around you, or at least something that you are involved in. Indeed, absolutely. So, um, Monday 29th of August, Glasgow Skeptics in the pub. I hear the guy that runs that is very good looking. Um, so we've got... Is he? He, he is. Uh, Rumour has it. He is a, has a very chiselled jawline. So, 29th of August, Monday night at the Admiral Bar in Glasgow, we have the biology of crime with Dr. Stuart Ritchie. And that uh, proves to be a, a very interesting subject. Ooh, cool. And before that? And before that as well, um, across my friends in Edinburgh have got the last couple of days of their fringe programme. Um, so the, the Edinburgh sceptics, uh, as you know, have been working incredibly hard all throughout the fringe, putting on a talk every single night. Um, so uh, after the next couple of days, when they finish up the programme, they will get a very well-earned rest. But if you happen to be in Edinburgh catching the fringe, uh, and I've been across a couple of times, it's brilliant, get yourself down to the Banshee Labyrinth. Uh, their fringe talks kick off at 7.50pm. Mm, cool. Later on in the week, uh, on Tuesday the 30th, in Cambridge, there is uh, something called Said List, Dead List, Round 2, with somebody called Essie Lawrence. Essie Lawrence, yeah. She's uh, she's delivered that talk for us at, at Glasgow, and it's excellent. Yeah. And she's also got a very good podcast there, the Said List, Dead List podcast. So, oh, really? Not as good as this one, of course, but um, well worth checking out if you have the time. Yeah, very good, very good. 
Thanks for that. Awesome. In on the next day, on Wednesday the thirty uh, 31st, um, it seems like Brighton Skeptics in the Pub is back after a long time of uh, dormancy. And uh, they're back with uh, an interesting talk, at least based on the title. It looks interesting. Uh, the title is I'd Like to Be Immortal, But... And the speaker is Professor Richard Aspinall. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether whether we can be immortal, the, the idea of immortality and uh, what can be done about it. Welcome back, Brayton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And on the 1st of uh, September, uh, Thursday, uh, in Liverpool, there is first uh, the uh, board meeting of the Merseyside Skeptics and followed by a social skeptics in the pub. And I'm, I'm told that you are, uh, even if you're not a member of the board, you're very welcome to show up during the board meeting, help out and come with uh, good ideas, etc. Planning for the future, etc. And on the same day, T-Site Skeptics in the Pub um, will be talking about food waste and what it can be used for, probably fueling the future. And the talk is given by Tom Dugmore. And that seems to be it about the events of next week. Uh, hope you'll find at least one of them um, that you can attend. And I would like to encourage everyone, if you have an event to promote in the future, just let us know. Uh, only please do it in advance so that we can add it to our calendar in time for the show. And where you can contact us is, uh, first of all, you can write us an email, info at theesp.eu. You can uh, find us on Facebook, uh, on our Facebook page. You can go on Twitter and uh, find us under the uh, Twitter handle at espodcast underscore eu. Or um, you can just go on the website, theesp.eu, and uh, find the contact form, fill it in, and get in contact with us. And if you're doing that, uh, why not go online, uh, go open up iTunes, and leave us a review there, will you? Preferably a nice one <laughs> with five stars. Thank you. Yeah, make, make sure you mention the, the guest presenter and how awesome he is as well. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure we have a few interesting topics to talk about, so why not go ahead? And start with them. So, the first thing I'd like to talk about is an update on the Anthroposophical Clinic in Sweden that I've mentioned before. There is uh, one uh, homeopathic hospital or Anthroposophical Hospital in Sweden. It's called Vida Kliniken. And for over 20 years they've had an exception, which means that they are allowed to use Anthroposophical remedies as well as science-based medicine. Um, the Swedish government uh, recently decided to phase out this exception uh, over five years. And since that decision was taken, um, the clinic have, has received quite, of, uh, quite a lot of attention and setback in the media. Uh, they recently felt the need to counter that criticism, uh, which seems to rather have backfired on them. Two local county councils have decided not to renew their contract. And on 19th of August, three local politicians wrote a very good reply 
to the clinic's uh, rhetoric. And these uh, politicians point out that a recent audit of the clinic found that, that they had grave problems in documentation and signs that anthroposophical remedies were used instead of rather than as a complement to evidence-based uh, medicine. Um, and they also say that it is nonsense, that, uh, which the, the clinic uh, had said, that the WHO, World Health Organization, is encouraging anthroposophical health care. Uh, it, what the WHO has done is just acknowledge that it exists. Uh, they also went on, the, this is the clinic, uh, to argue that uh, uh, a lot of uh, countries have found these methods effective, the, the anthroposophical treatments. But that's not at all what uh, what's happened. They, they point to Germany and, and Switzerland, but in Germany you have these uh, remedies by tradition. It's not because they work. And in Switzerland, uh, it was introduced lately, but that was after a referendum. That wasn't based on science either. The, th the thing here, I think, is that we see politicians now getting out uh, and publicly saying that this is uh, bullshit, we should get rid of it. And the header of the article from the politicians are facts are fact. So I, I think maybe we're beginning to see uh, the end for, for this uh, Vida clinic in place. And this is very pos positive. And uh, finally, we may be going in the right uh, direction. Mm. I, I guess it will still take time because yeah. this, it, it is, they have a lot of popular support and it's very easy to, to, to uh, appeal to people's emotional, uh, you know, uh, things and so so people are are feeling well everybody are right entitled to their own yadi 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 but if it's not proven to work then why should we use it well well of, of course but i was going to ask pontus you know if, if there is a um a, a lot of people you know a lot of woo merchants that are clamoring for it out there the politicians that you speak of uh, are more likely to uh change their stance in that case so uh, is there a is there a loud voice coming from the, the rational and sceptical community as well to counteract that? I think there is. I mean, we do what we can, and we have, we have Swedish sceptics, that is, and we, there are people affiliated with us or close friends to us, so, sort of, that, that do, do uh, criticise this. And I think that we are sort of winning the argument here, slowly. Uh, it, it helps to have facts on your side, <laughs> I'm sure that. It helps, but... I'm... <laughs> Yeah, surprisingly, it doesn't always, uh, it's not always enough, but it, it helps, of course. Yeah, it's, it's not always a requirement mm, no. either, so that's that's the worrying part. But uh, yeah, it's always always good to see something moving forward like that. Indeed. Thank you. Eichmann, I hear you, you've had some poltergeists around? In, indeed, we have some ghostly activity in, in Glasgow. So this is a, a story um, that popped up recently uh, on the Daily Record. Now, uh, for those of you not in the know, the Daily Record is, a, well, it's a, it's a tabloid newspaper in Scotland. Um, it, it's, it's the type of newspaper that people who think they're too good to read the sun We'll, we'll read. Um, but they aren't quite grown up enough to read proper newspapers. So um, think of it um, like, like a child who's toilet training. You know, they don't wear the diaper at night anymore, but there's still plastic sheets on the bed. That, this is the type of newspaper we're talking about. So headline in the, in the Daily Record is 
Poltergeist baffles hardened Police Scotland officers after they witness paranormal activity, including a levitating dog. So th- this is, I know, this has got to be the first in, uh, in poltergeist activity, some, some levitating dog action. So the story goes on to say perplexed officers on call to a disturbance saw lights going off, clothes flying across a room, and a dog, which was playing in the garden, suddenly perched on top of a seven-foot hedge. I, I don't know what that is in metric, two metres something, okay? So um, so clearly, already, we, we don't have a levitating dog. We have a dog that appeared on top of a hedge, not above a hedge. It would be levitating if it was above the hedge. So th- this is this is kind of stan- standard spooky haunted house story that... Um, that, that a lot of kind of tabloid uh, newspapers will will eat up um, because it's good clickbait. So the story, um, you know, was repeated, you know, credul- credulously by the Daily Mail, the Telegraph, the Huffington Post, the Daily Star, and the aforementioned Sun newspaper. Um, and and most of the time, when when these type of stories. Are, are come along in a newspaper. Um, people don't take them too seriously. It's a little bit of fun. But there's a couple of elements in the story that um, maybe cause me a little bit of sceptical concern here. So there's a couple of quotes throughout the story by the, the, the journalist, Jane, Jane Hamilton, um, where she's talking about the police's reaction um, and how they dealt with the incident. Now, this is very much hearsay, bearing in mind the type of publication we're talking about. But a couple of quotes here. So firstly, it says the situation has been discussed at high levels within Police Scotland with senior officers perplexed uh, as to how best to handle the incidents. Um, Also, with no reasonable explanation for what they witnessed, police, acting with the support of the family, contacted the Catholic Church who sent a priest to bless the house. (laughs) And Yeah, exactly. And, and, And there's a few other comments in there really talking about how baffled the police were and they didn't know how to deal with that sort of thing. Now, um, if that's true, then it it certainly shows um, a serious lack of uh, investigative um, diligence by by Police Scotland, particularly if they are going to the, the, the lengths of actually contacting the church. Now, it, it turns out the family involved in this poltergeist activity are, are devout Catholics, um, and they may well have um, wanted to contact the church themselves, which is perfectly within their rights, of course. Um, but the fact that it appears that the police endorsed this and actually initiated the contact, or allegedly initiated the contact, um, was a little bit of a concern to me. Hmm. So I actually um, decided to phone up the media desk of Police Scotland, uh, their Ooh. Glasgow branch, Yeah, I know. Yeah, well, don't get too excited. It wasn't the best of conversations. So I phoned up and said, hello, yeah, I'm I'm looking to um, have a discussion about uh, some recent reports of poltergeist activity in Rutherglen. I have some concerns um, about um, what's being said about the policing techniques. Uh, And the response I got was, are you a member of the media? And I said, no, not really, but I'm... I'm putting together a report for the European Skeptics podcast, uh, which was met with silence. You know, the, the ESP, 
ESP, no, I sang them the theme tune and everything, guys. They hadn't, they haven't heard of you, which, which was very disrespectful. Um, well, yeah, my, my, uh, yeah. Talking about talking about ESP and not not knowing about us, that's that's just unacceptable. Exactly. You would expect more from the police, wouldn't you? They're clearly yeah, not very well yeah. researched. Anyway, yeah. so uh, the, basically the answer I got was get off the phone. Um, but they did agree <laughs> uh, that if I if I sent an email, um, they would forward it on to the um, the officers who were dealing with this particular inquiry. So I did. I've drafted an email and I sent it on oh Thursday, I think it was. Haven't had any reply as yet, but mm. um, I will let you guys know in a follow-up report if uh, if I hear anything back. Um, I, I did also attempt to reach out to the journalist um, who, who wrote the story, uh, and again, haven't had any reply from her. No surprise there, really, though. But there was a follow-up story as well, um, talking about, and, and again, to, to, to warn your sceptical spider sense here, Anytime something like this happens, the woo merchants come out of the woodwork. So the follow-up story was uh, Rutherland Poltergeist family flooded uh, with offers of help. So um, we've had uh, Donna Swanson, the founder of the, the Scottish Paranormal Investigations Group Shadow Assassins, which is a really cool name. Um, she, she doesn't call herself a medium, but she can see, feel, and hear dead people and has even been assaulted by a spirit. So this is, this is a report, again, from the Daily Record. She's been in touch with them. Uh, Ghost Hunter Scotland has been in contact with them. And there was also a separate story, um, again, in the Daily Record, saying that the Rutherglen poltergeist could be caused by teenage energy. Uh, and that was said by Scotland's only official demonologist. Wow. Now, uh, yeah, wow. Did, I bet what you didn't... What do you didn't... mean by... Oh, sorry, what do you mean by official? <laughs> well, it doesn't go on to explain, because I was wondering that myself. So it's a gentleman by the name of Jason Love, and, and he says he's Scotland's <laughs> only official demonologist. I don't know how you get given that title. Um, okay. But, um, you know, <laughs> just to, to clarify, though, that's not his day job. He's not a he's not a full time demonologist. He's actually a psychiatric nurse, which uh, which is not encouraging. No. But he does say um, his first quote from him is, is that he usually checks for physical or mental activities in the background, uh, see if there's a history of psychiatric problems. There are quite a lot of medications which can make you hallucinate. So that's actually quite a rational uh, start he made to his quotes, but. He then goes on to say that children are the biggest reason for poltergeist activity. And he says one of the common triggers for this is the, the energy, quote-unquote energy, of prepubescent and uh, pubescent teens. Hmm. Because one of the, the, the children um, of this family is a teenager. Well, that, you know, more... Yeah, more yeah, yeah. Blame it all on the teenagers. Blame yeah. it all on the teenagers. Yeah. Exactly. I've, I've had a couple of teenagers uh, myself, and I, I know that they do sometimes have some strange energies, but, but I don't think you need uh, to invoke poltergeists to, to, to explain that. Well, actually, you, you, you must have been just lucky. Oh, maybe so. Uh, yeah. That that your children didn't trigger a, a poltergeist activity. Maybe I was just yeah. too skeptical to see it. 
<laughs> that's probably what it was. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've I've had a couple of teenage children to deal with as well, and I'm I'm thankful to say that there was no levitating dogs amongst the the problems <laughs> I had with the with the two of them. the the family The family themselves um, have actually said that you know they they don't want any more publicity. They they don't want to speak to the papers anymore. And actually, um, there was a short video from from Haley Stevens, the skeptical paranormal researcher, really just saying, "Leave the family alone." Um, yeah, and, mm. and, and I think, you know, whatever the situation here is, frequently when there are uh, reports of poltergeist activity or hauntings, it, it's, it's usually some kind of fakery going on or, or even uh, a sign of perhaps a disturbed family or a disturbed child even. So, um, you know, there's, there's undercurrents of problems there. Mm. I also failed to see what the, what the actual crime was here. I mean... Uh, is it is it against the law to have dogs on hedges? <laughs> it's a very very obscure Scottish bylaw from the 1700s about dogs <laughs> on hedges. No, um, the, there is a quote from the police again saying that they don't quite know how to deal with it because no crime has taken place. Ah. But the, the the family have moved out of their house uh, temporarily, perhaps maybe to avoid all of the. Um, this sort of publicity and and all of the the ghost hunters that are uh, trying to make contact with them. Um, just one small point: uh, beautiful activity from the people of Glasgow. There has apparently been signs of uh, teenage children outside the house singing the Ghostbusters theme tune. So, uh, well done, well done to those teenagers for doing that. Just don't cross the beams. Yeah, don't cross the streams. Absolutely. Well, do you know what? It's it's not far away from where I live, actually. I could probably trot on down there. I used to work down in that vicinity as well. So, um, you know, I, I could go down and have a little look at a house where nothing's happening, but I'll, uh, I think I'll save my time and do something else more productive. Uh, don't don't forget to, to look important. Oh, of course, and, yeah. And, and, and look like an expert. I will tell everybody <laughs> I'm reporting on behalf of the ESP podcast. It didn't work too well with Police awesome. Scotland, but, uh, you know, maybe with the general public, that'll uh, set them uh, to give me a little bit of the respect that I am due. You just pointed out something very important, that we haven't played that card out yet, trying to appeal to um, ESP believers um, with with the title. No, we should I think we've missed that so far. Yeah, yeah, we should. We really should. You should also use it to try and get into nightclubs and stuff. You know, if you get stopped by the door security, you can sort of draw a, a little circle around your face with your hand and go, don't you know who I am? I'm <laughs> from the ESP podcast. Yeah. Surely that entitles oh. me to VIP treatment. Oh, that never occurred to me either. What a loser I am. <laughs> What's the point of having all this power, guys, if you don't start to abuse it? Come on. <laughs> all this power you mean oh yeah awesome <laughs> it feels good to have this power so oh yeah do let us know if uh, if you're going ahead with that research your private research of the poltergeist case well do thank you there is something led by the university of glasgow the chief scientist office and medical research council uh, that is a new project understanding health research which is a cool-sounding project, but uh, the tool itself that they put together is even cooler than that. Um, 
you must have had your the, the that problem yourself but i i i do know that for a lot of people it's uh, almost impossible to distinguish between a reliable piece of research and a non-reliable piece of research uh, and that's because of a lack of understanding partly of how medical research is done but partly because uh the sources are uh, not evaluated properly um, in the eye of the public. So this is what the, the Understanding Health Research tool is for. It's designed to help people understand and review published health research to decide how dependable and relevant a piece of research is, according to the website. That's understandinghealthresearch.org. And uh, it is a tool, it is an online tool, and it helps you ask the right questions regarding specific types of health research and uh, th evaluate the, the, the answers uh, based on the way of thinking, based on a critical approach uh, that should be applied every time you try to find out the truth about uh, some kind of medical research. So it, it is based on the fact that assessing evidence is a complex process. But it helps you. Uh, so how it actually works is uh, you hit review a study and uh, you can start on the website. So it's basically it guides you through the process step by step. So mm -hmm. it cannot get any any easier than that. And uh, I, I would really love to see how it works out in the long run because the, the initiative itself looks brilliant to me should be mandatory for journalists to use i think definitely yeah yeah absolutely and i i do think that uh it's it is kind of a sister project to mm -hmm. ask for evidence mm -hmm. by sense about science yep. and uh, these are the tools that that are the best ways to uh, in my opinion to communicate how uh, assessing or or evaluating a certain piece of research Uh, or a topic itself uh, just before you start evaluating the research uh, it works and yeah it's it's cool it's it would be nice to to have all these tools in different languages as well so if someone knows about a tool like that uh, in another language please let us know because we would like to promote that mm, definitely absolutely But I've got something something else, and it's um, related to health research as well. Pontus, you mentioned copying mm -hmm. on one of the episodes, mm. and I think uh, even in the last episode we mentioned it briefly. And uh, I just listened to uh, one of the latest episodes of The Skeptic Zone, where uh, Richard Saunders had an interview with Susan Gerbeck, talking about the Wikipedia page of the copying therapy. Mm. And uh, apparently, Guerrilla Skepticism on Wikipedia, uh, the project, jumped on it, uh, on this uh, page. Not only them, but also uh, Wiki Project Medicine. I, I checked the history of the page, and uh, I saw several of the users uh, from Wiki Project Medicine as well. So, it's cool. And when you go on the, on the Wikipedia page... Uh, right in the lead, it states that it is considered pseudoscience, and uh, all all the, the 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 different sources like uh, Trick or Treatment by uh, Simon Singh and Edson Ernst, 
or mentioned because they are discussing cupping therapy and uh, that's cool because this is uh this is to show and this shows very well how important uh, projects like that are uh, like uh, gorilla skepticism on wikipedia because they added uh the links to these sources thus generating some traffic for the pages wikipedia pages of of the book for example uh mentioning uh Edzard Ernst. so the reader of that article because now that it's it's uh, so prominent uh, the the method of of copying uh people are searching for it on the internet and when on a google search it comes up the wikipedia page they can be led through the wikipedia page they can be led to other pages as well uh discussing how much of a pseudoscience it is so it's a very good educational tool uh for the readers of uh wikipedia articles mm. so well done yeah very well done i mean i heard the interview as well it was it was very good um susan was was talking about the 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 fact that she you know she jumped on it very quickly as soon as the the copying stories became prominent so it's it's nice to see that yeah. we've got that community there that they can really react quickly to it but she was also saying there was a there was kind of a battle ongoing with regards to updates to yeah. the page so presumably we have susan and and the gsow folks on one side trying to uh, i guess put in some factual stuff uh, and maybe you have the cupping enthusiasts on the other side um you know trying to revert it back to to how it was originally and perhaps a more credulous version of the page um how, how does that tend to pan out is it really the most persistent whoever clicks on edit last or um is it is it a bit more complex everyone can check it if you go on the on the page of uh, cupping th- the therapy you hit uh, history and you'll see what edits uh, have been have been done and yeah there's a lot of that going on reverting it uh, then adding something new reverting it again and uh, but uh, apparently it's not necessarily those who are uh, cupping enthusiasts but uh, there is always some kind of uh, a debate uh, going on about uh, pseudoscientific topics so it's it's not an easy job and it's not not straightforward it's uh, you'll you'll have to endure all that battle um but but i think it's in a pretty good shape right now so it's it's uh, uh, really worth checking out and uh, i'd like to take the opportunity here to promote uh, Gorilla Skepticism on Wikipedia and please if you have some free time if you speak another language there's all the more reason to, to join the the project you could do it in different languages and you could help the project spread out and get to as many people as possible uh, with with all the proper information that is after long debates uh, can be settled uh, on Wikipedia. So if you want to join uh, Gorilla Skepticism on Wikipedia, just do a Google search for it or uh, find Susan Gerbic on Facebook and add her as a friend. She'll know what to do. All right. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. And I'm afraid it is time to move on to one of our segments that is usually covered by Yelena. So I'm not going to ask her now. Um, she's busy converting. Um, squirrels but I'm gonna try discussing 
uh, logical fallacy. And today's logical fallacy is argument from ignorance, which is also known as um, appeal to ignorance, absence of evidence, argument from personal astonishment, argument from incredulity, etc. It is a logical fallacy that is based on the assertion that a proposition is true because it has not yet been proved false. Uh, and, and the main uh, thing about it is that if there is lacking evidence, uh, you jump to the conclusion that something is impossible, something is non-existent, uh, or the other way around. Uh, one of the, the best examples, I think, is uh, uh, creationists trying to argue for a divine intervention. So an example is, uh, uh, like, to this day, uh, science has been unable to create life from non-life. Therefore, Life must be a result of divine intervention. Well, first of all, there is a false dilemma here. It's It says either or, but let's ignore that. The fact that we have not found a way to create life yet from non-life is not an evidence that there is no way to do it, or it's impossible to do it. It's just an evidence that we do not yet know how to do it. It's ignorance not knowing how to do it it's just basic ignorance but it's not impossibility impossibility mm. and uh, that distinction has to be made yeah the other thing is that uh, sometimes when when there are debates uh the uh when someone appeals to ignorance uh it is it is used as uh, an attempt to shift the burden of proof like it has not yet been, so the missing link has not yet been revealed, uh, and it can mean that you just don't know about it. So, so you are the one shifting the burden of proof and uh, putting it on the other one, the, the your opponent's shoulder. Uh, while when you are making uh, an assumption or when you are making a statement about something, mm. you should be the one ready to provide evidence for that. Yeah, I, uh, I I had pretty much that exact conversation with some uh, Jehovah's Witnesses who uh, who came to my door. Um, I, I work from home, so I'm unfortunate mm-hmm. enough to be in the house when when they knock the door. But it it does make for some interesting conversations. But you know, we we had that very same discussion about um, life from non-life. Um, and 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 they they did they absolutely went on to try and reverse that burden of proof as well, which uh, oh, yeah. which I was having none of, of course. But uh, if you're ever bored and at home, then you know answer the door to the Jehovah's Witnesses. You will always have an interesting conversation, but don't don't let them in. No. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I do like I do like having those conversations, but for some reason, uh, whenever they see me, they decide not to approach me. Oh, that's not just them, that's everyone. <laughs> that harsh? Yeah. Probably. <laughs> no, he knows me well. He knows me well, yeah. That's why. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. You know what? Since talking about logical fallacies, uh, let's talk about someone who's been really wrong lately. All right. All right, so today I have something that we usually hear about from the USA, not here from Europe. Um, uh, and in Ireland, 
there is an independent politician called Danny Healy Ray. He recently told uh, the Irish Parliament that God above controls weather, the weather, so climate change is not something we should worry about. Uh, and then he got a lot of criticism for that, so he got, went on to clarify his comment uh, in an interview uh, in a magazine called Hot Press. And this is what he said. Everyone is entitled to their view. I'm basing my views on facts. The facts are there and history proves it. We had the Ice Age, we had Noah's Ark, and we had all these stories. Uh, so <laughs> notice there his language. He doesn't know the difference between the word story and fact. First he calls both the Ice Age and Noah's Ark stories, and then he refers to them as facts. And um, I don't think... Uh, first of all, there was not just one Ice Age to begin with. And w wasn't the Ice Age is uh, supposed to happen long before uh, the Earth was created in his book? I don't know. Um, and even if you buy his argument, so it, doesn't he already acknowledge the fact that there has been uh, catastrophic uh, climate change in the past, and shouldn't that sh shouldn't we take it uh, as as an uh, incentive to do something about it, and and to prevent them and to do something, or at least maybe we should build an ark, uh, uh, or perhaps not. It's working well for Ken Ham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say, yeah. I hear that doesn't float, so I don't know. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so short story, uh, not something we usually hear from Europe, but apparently there are creationists and uh, literal Bible interpreters also here, also in some of our parliaments in the EU. So Great. That's, that's encouraging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is, it always... So for not being able to separate his facts from his bullshit fairy tale legends, Dan Healy Ray gets today's prize for being really wrong. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. Well done, Dan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what? You should start again from scratch. I mean, the thinking process. Mm, yeah. All right. I think we are getting close to wrapping up the show. Mm -hmm. But that means we would need a quote to finish up with. But since Yalana's not here, Eggman, do you have a nice quote for us? I do indeed. Cool. When men are most sure and arrogant, they are commonly most mistaken. Giving views to passion without that proper deliberation, which alone can secure them from the grossest absurdities. And that was from Scottish philosopher David Hume mm. uh, from his book, mm. An Inquiry Concerning the Principles of Morals in 1751. Fantastic. Hashtag skeptic squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Fantastic. Thank you. Very good. That's a great quote. Very, very good. Yeah, it's good. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I think this is the point where we have to finish up the show and i'd like to thank my co-host pontus and our guest today brian ago for joining us thank you very much it's been a pleasure having you on the show again uh thanks again guys it's been a blast and get well soon andras 
<laughs> I'm trying my best. I should I should get my homeopathic uh, pills or something. I'll do the trick. <laughs> uh, I'll go and find some. But uh, yeah, hope to hear from you soon. Um, especially when you go on with your uh, poltergeist research, just let us know. Well do. And uh, keep the info about skeptics in the pub, Glasgow skeptics in the pub coming. Uh, I certainly will. We have got a very very busy September and October um, coming up. Um, particularly in September, actually, we are going to hold a uh, a discussion about nine eleven conspiracy theories as we as we pass the the fifteenth anniversary of the attacks, and um, we're, we're actually having to um, make a ticketed event because the interest has been so great. Um, oh. So very mm. encouraging, but I've got a feeling we're going to have some uh, tinfoil hat wearers in the crowd that night. So it's going to be fun. Ooh. <laughs> Sounds like it. All right. Thank you very much again, guys. Thanks a lot. And until next week, goodbye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then... Please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe See ya, Stock. All right, hey, Sunny Sam. All right, troops. <laughs> oh, God damn it. All right, what's the... I went second there because Yelena usually goes second. I didn't realise we were breaking protocol for that. I'm glad you're so familiar with the show. Very, very good. <laughs> I was doing my homework last night, guys. You know, I'm that dedicated. <laughs> very, very good. Awesome. Okay. <coughs> Oh, sh- sh- wow. Sorry. Okay, any- anything else to talk about? No, not really. I had something, but I don't think... Your funeral? It sounds like you're about to pass away there. <laughs> what is... What is that? What is what? Pontus? What? I don't know. Some some kind of a, a ghost-like voice appeared oh, in the air. It's just a dog levitating to, on, on top of my head chair. So I'll... I'll get, uh, you guys still there? So Can you hear me? When I th- yeah. We hear you. Yeah, we can. Hey, sorry, I think I lost. Can you? Yeah, I think I lost you for a few seconds again, but we're back now. Thank you. All right. All right. Oh, okay. So that 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 was a ghost-like voice mm. in the background.